0: Another game, another ugly loss for the Vancouver Canucks. 4-1 in Pittsburgh against the Penguins last night. They drop yet another game, and the temperature somehow continues to increase around this team. It's the Canucks Hour here on Sportsnet 650, your home of the Canucks. I'm Jamie Dodd. We'll be joined momentarily by my co-host, Canucks insider Thomas Drance. You can always read Drantz's work covering this team at The Athletic as well. Canucks Hour is brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Being a champion takes foresight. Build your company to win for years to come with fuel-efficient and reliable Kubota skid steers, excavators, and loaders from Avenue Machinery. Visit avenuemachinery.ca. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line, the smart alternative Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. 650-650. Get your texts in. We want to get to as many of them as possible throughout the course of the show. And Drancer, as I said, coming into the show, just another game for the Vancouver Canucks. Another bad, dispiriting loss 4-1 against the Pittsburgh Penguins last night. Yeah, it's the, it's, it's Groundhog Day, right? Yep.
1: I mean, we're, we're living in Groundhog Day at this point. And, you know, I I, I should do a Mia culpa because I, I sort of looked at some trend lines, looked at the numbers and looked at Vancouver's five on five form over the last five, 10 games. And I thought, you know, I, I kind of feel like this team's going to get it on track a little bit on true talent. I still think they're an 80, 85 ish point team, you know, in terms of the talent on yep. this roster, even though they've performed so much worse than that. And I thought, you know, this this trip, the competition they're facing, this is, you know, maybe when they'll get back on track, at least a little bit, at least a little bit. And look, that could still happen. I mean, there's still four more games, but what I may have missed, what I may have underrated, is just how emotionally flat this group is. Right? I mean, that's what it looked like last night, especially off, off the outset, yeah. where like it just didn't feel like they had the puck in the first period at all. And I also did think that the Defensive flaws, and I don't mean defensive play. I mean the blue line flaws. The, the simple fact of not having the personnel capable of defending or breaking out against a fast team. Um, you know, that to me was on full display last night. And I think partly because Quinn Hughes was off his game. Like it wasn't his best game by any means. And when Quinn Hughes is off, there's no release pressure release valve, right? There's no movement. There's no verticality. The Canucks just feel like they're you know, trying to open a lock with Silly Putty. And, and that's what it felt like watching the game last night. It was tremendously disappointing. And then, and then you sort of see how Horvat and Miller reacted post-game, um, you know, and, and it was me doing the bulk of those, uh, of asking the bulk of those questions. And, you know, I, even I was kind of surprised by the flatness of their response. You know, I, it wasn't just another Bo Horvat disappointed presser. At least it didn't feel that way to me. Um, you know Miller, I've almost never talked to in that manner before. That right. was kind of a first. Um, you know, and I, I know they've been playing the audio on the station, and I know that Friedman discussed it on the Merrick show, and you know that that clip is making the rounds, um, and it does feel sort of emblematic of where this team is at—just kind of out of answers, out of emotion, out of passion, flat. And you know, as I sort of look through the rest of what this trip could look like, look ahead to Columbus, and look ahead to Boston. And even look ahead to Montreal and Ottawa. Um, You know, if they don't find something to rally around, if they don't find something to grasp onto in terms of getting their energy level up, I mean, there's no sort of end in sight. Like, there's nothing that's naturally going to arrest this slide um, now that they're sort of in what feels like a self-fulfilling spiral uh, to rock bottom.
0: Yeah, it's it's so hard to pull out of this when you're in it, right? And on the on the TV broadcast last night, Jen Botterell was working the intermissions, and you know one of the things she said, she was talking just generally about teams that are slumping, is when you're in it like this, you you just have to find okay, what is the thing we're still doing well to hold on to, right? And we use that as a foundation, cling to that, and use that as your base to build the rest of your game out of. The Canucks aren't doing anything well right now. Like like Demko had another fantastic game, but you can't. You can't build the other the skater's performance just on the, the back of your goalie constantly, right? So I don't know what that thing is that they would cling on to at the moment because they're not playing particularly well 5-on-5. Five five. Yeah, the second and third period were better, but for much of that, you're already down multiple goals, so you would expect to have a better performance at 5-on-5 five five in that situation. You're not getting it done on either side of special teams. There's nothing to hold on to right now for this team. And just, you know... The big story coming out of last night's Drancer, is the reaction from from JT Miller and Bo Horvat and Travis Green, I would put in there as well. But I do want to just focus on the actual, the game itself for just a minute before we dive into the rest of that, because the story of the game was a, a bad, bad slow start in the first period, right? And Thatcher Demko had to be fantastic to keep that a 0-0 game going into the middle frame. But you just think about it. I mean, we've seen, that has been a repeated time after time thing for this team. And, I, you know, the... The the sense going into this road trip was, okay, here's our here's our last chance to turn the season around. As you said, Drancer, it sets up, okay, some maybe we can take a a handful of points from this road trip. We've we've at least got a chance. Here we go. We're going to turn things around. And in that context, you come out flat again. And it just doesn't seem like there's any belief. It makes it look like there's no belief in the team that they're going to turn this around. When you, when you think this is your chance to start doing it and you come out with a first period like that, it's hard to get the sense that the team believes a turnaround is forthcoming. No, for sure.
1: And, and look, if it's going to come, it has to come from the best young players on this team. I think there's no question about that. Um, you know, I, I think that that's got to be a big source of frustration for everyone in the organization. Like why, why are we on, why do we only have three even strength points from Elias Pettersson? Why do we only have two from Brock Besser? Like what is going on here? Uh, these guys are better than this. and And I think the players know that too, right? I mean, I thought Quinn Hughes against Pittsburgh, that was probably the worst I've ever seen him play over 60 minutes at the NHL level, to be totally honest with you. Um, you know, he's been so dynamic for most of his career, at least with the puck, and even that part of his game wasn't
0: there yesterday. Yeah. So,
1: you know, I think if, if you're going to get some kind of a turnaround, you're going to get it today, uh, or you're going to get it from that young group. And today, uh, it an interesting practice. It was pretty fitful, I'd say, like a, a kind of slow-paced. Felt like um, consistent with the malaise that the club is typically shown. And then there was some confusion on a 2 on 0 drill in either end of the rink. And, you know, a lengthy conversation with Brock Besser and Travis Green for clarification in the neutral zone uh, with JT Miller on, uh, at one end of the ice. And, and I believe actually that it was Miller's line that was responsible. Like, I think they were just in the wrong end of the ice. Yeah. Um, but Miller and Miller sort of yelling out like, "We don't know what we're doing." As Canucks Nation replies in unison, "Like we know." Yes. <laughs> but the but the you know practice kind of picked up when they got into a two on two drill, and it was like a two on two rush drill, uh, teams of two effectively doing like a sequence where it goes until one side scores. Right. So a pretty exhausting, like a pretty demanding mid practice drill. Uh, with Bradshaw sort of slapping passes to one team or the other, and then them competing. And uh, early in that drill, Pedersen sieged one of one of the forwards on the team, uh, one of the top six guys. I don't I don't remember exactly who it was. Went the other way, and he pulled one of those Kucherov moves. You know where you fake the forehand, yep. backhand, deke, but actually you don't touch the puck at all. Uh, slid it five-hole through Demko with that move. One of the sickest moves you can do these days. Um, And everyone got fired up. And from there, practice began to look normal. There started to be some zip in how the Canucks were skating and competing with one another uh, thereafter. And, and, you know, for me, that was just this, like, eureka moment almost. Like, yeah, if it's going to change, it does kind of have to start with those guys, with the best young players on this team sort of showing up and giving someone, uh, anyone, (laughs) anyone on this roster, in this organization, in this city, Uh, something to believe in in terms of where this club could go. Because right now, you know, there's just nothing. Is nothing at
0: all. Well, and that's a really interesting kind of anecdote from practice. And, you know, as, as the great Allen Iverson said, we're talking about practice. So let's not get ahead of ourselves here. But No, they... let's get ahead of ourselves. I <laughs> let's love do it. Let's do ourselves. it. Jamie, uh, let's go crazy. Have
1: exclusive access to is what matters.
0: Listen, that, Ale- what Elias it. Petterson pulled that move <laughs> off in practice. You watch the Canucks of a New St. Blu- Louis Blues. And it will be because of that move. No, 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 no. Let's slow down a little bit. But what I was going to say, Drancer, was, okay, Elias Petterson does that to spark the practice. That's what they've been waiting. I mean, what 15 games for now to happen in in a real game, right? Is for Elias Pedersen to step up and give this team a spark. And I know you said on the show earlier in the week. And to be very fair to you, you know, you you provided a bunch of caveats and uh, and kind of reasons why uh, it, it might not happen. But you said maybe Elias Pedersen. There were some signs of progress in his game. I think that was a fair comment. Last night was a major step backward for me from Elias Pedersen. He looked, again, too much like the player, just just invisible out there for long, long stretches. Didn't play a lot. I think Ian McIntyre reported it was the lowest ice time he's had in a non-injury game since his NHL debut, right? It was just, he was not making an impact, and Travis Green recognized it and didn't put him out there as a result. And, man, again, there's so many things going wrong with the team. But when you see Mm -hmm. that from a player that should have been the thing you can count on this year, right? Like, we always knew there were going to be questions elsewhere on this roster. But you should have been able to count on Elias Patterson. And to have him still at 20 games in, you don't know what kind of effort, what kind of performance you're going to get night to night. You don't know if he's going to be invisible night to night. I I don't know how. It must be so difficult for the other players to perform in that when when your best player you just can't rely on them at all right now no no uh, it's you know the, and and not to
1: control play either i mean the first period yep. in which pittsburgh sort of demolished the Canucks territorially you know you you look at the underlying metrics at the end and petterson's been outshot zero to five like they didn't even record a single five on five shot with him on the ice he had a shot four on four um, you know, and it was a decent chance, like it was a decent chance. Uh, but yeah, I mean, and there is more going on. Like one of the reasons that these guys look so bad that uh, their top end talent, specifically 40 and six is, you know, we're talking about on ice shooting percentages, you know, five and below and, and that's not going to last. And that part of it is going to change. And when it changes, it means that the Canucks are going to score more goals when they're on the ice, likely with them being primarily involved, considering how they play, um, even if they don't improve their two-way form like even if nothing changes but there is an issue with what the club is generating like the club just isn't generating scoring chances with their top players on the ice the way they have traditionally if you combined the 1920 teams offense with with sort of what this club's done defensively you'd have something and and but but you wouldn't have something great you'd have some you'd have a playoff team yeah. probably, like a low-end playoff team but the defensive play has just fallen absolutely off a cliff and and it's sort of funny because we looked at the 1920 team right and said their you know fundamental issue is the defense the quality of the defense they need to upgrade that defense right that was a constant talking point going into that offseason during the pause and the bubble and it's actually significantly worse now than it was then right like n- not just the defensive like the defensive results are better but the defensive personnel are atrocious, appalling. You can't win with it. And, you know, so as the heat turns up on so many around this organization, and particularly the head coach, you know, I I mean, for me, the fundamental, like, we might be at a point in the season where Green's not the solution,
0: right? Like, I do think
1: that even though I have a high regard for him as an NHL head coach, and I think time will show that that's the right, you know, that's the right take. Um, But I I do sort of wonder if, Things have gotten so negative so quickly around this club that, you know, he might not be part of the solution at this point. And, you know, if that's the case, then that's fair, but that doesn't mean that he's the primary issue. And, and when I look at this club and when I look at the prospects of, you know, lots of people want to look at the Daryl Sutter hire in Calgary and look what that changed, but there's never been anything as galling from this current Canucks coaching staff as what the Calgary flames did, putting a cold, David Riddick into a a tied playoff game in the bubble that that saw them get eliminated, right? Yeah. Um, There's nothing that galling. There's nothing as galling as the way that they completely wore down Markstrom during the during the season because Riddick had gotten blown up because of their own bad decision, right? Like they ruined this guy's confidence, then declined to play him, and then ruined their six times six million dollar player because they made him way too fatigued, like to the point that. I was watching games and I'm not a pro or anything. And I was like, Markstrom is visibly tired. Watch him charge out of the net like a, like a madman. And then of course he did it two seconds later and got got scored on, right? Like it was incredibly obvious. They completely dropped the ball. That's, that's the type of thing where it's like not even baseline competence. There is no, no analogy with that level of mismanagement that we saw under Jeff Ward in Calgary. And that, you know, when you then go to a top-end coach like, like Sutter, the golf is just massive, and all of a sudden the team looks like a contender. There is This coaching staff at least maintains uh, baseline competence in, in most areas. I guess the penalty kill, but again, when you sort of look at the personnel, it's kind of tough to parcel out what's personnel and what's, and what's coaching, and, and clearly it's a bit of both. So, you know, they're, 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 you're not going to get the same effect. You're not going to get the same effect so long as this blue line is this bad. So long as this roster is this poorly constructed. And so, you know, I, I do think Green is the subject of uh, a lot of intrigue right now. Um, that's fair enough. This is a, a results-based league, despite how the Canucks have carried themselves for the past decade. Um, but I do think, you know, my focus is going to remain on the roster. And, and I do think no matter who comes in, uh, that defense is a problem. They just cannot, cannot, with the, with the bodies they have, be competitive enough or even just maintain possession the way you need to, to win in this league.
0: and Because there's two things going on with this team, right? I and mean, there's a lot of things, but you know what I mean, right? There's the roster construction issues, which, you know, like people can disagree anywhere from an 80 to 90 point true talent team, something like that, right? I think it would be fair to say about this team. That's a wide range, but you get my point. So there's that, which is a roster construction issue, which is you need to find a way long-term to add more talent to this roster, which is going to be tricky to do, but they're they're not, performing anywhere close to that level, right? Even if you're relatively pessimistic and you think, you know, this is a 78-point true talent team, which I think is much too pessimistic, they're performing way, way, way below that. So there's the roster construction issue and then there's also the present issue of why on earth isn't this team coming anywhere close to its potential. Now, It's fair to look at the coaching staff and say they might be part of the problem for why this team isn't reaching its potential, but you do have to keep the two issues in mind, right? Firing, as you say, I don't think replacing the coach is going to all of a sudden transform this team into a legitimate contender or a legitimate Stanley Cup contender because you'll still have the roster construction issues. Now, when you look specifically at, okay, why aren't they performing even to, you know, what might be relatively low expectations of this roster. It's fair to look at the coach, but we talked about it a little bit, you know, the response from JT Miller post game, the response from Bo Horvat post game. And I mean, Dranser, we are we're 2 weeks into disaster mode for this team, right? They lost 7 to 1 2 weeks ago today against the Avalanche on November 11th. It has been maximum temperature, maximum noise, maximum Heat on this team every day since then, right? And by the way, they have two points in seven games in that stretch over the last two weeks. There's no sign of a turnaround yep. coming. And They've won three of fourteen exactly three of fourteen. And in that, so of course, you know, in a market like Vancouver, when you go through a stretch like that. And you take into account the larger context of the team and in, in p- previous seasons, of course. What's <laughs> your yeah, just knives come out? <laughs> yeah, and of course there's going to be questions about okay, when is a change happening? And every game that unfolds like last night, and every media availability that unfolds like last night, it just makes the question more and more pointed. Why hasn't anything happened? Why is there still no action? Because. It's clearly an untenable situation, and I think that's what we were seeing from Horvat and Miller and Green to a certain extent last night as well is just this is untenable for the players, for the coach, for I can only imagine everyone in the organization to exist in this mode for this long, and I think what we're seeing now, it's clearly weighing on the team, and however, you know, I I know there's always been talk of is there something wrong in the locker room, do players not get along, what's going on there, however much weight you wanted to put on that, at the beginning of the season, clearly the vibes in the locker room, for whatever reason, I think are now weighing on the team and preventing them from playing well on the ice. I don't think
1: that's a stretch at all. I think it would be impossible to conclude anything else, considering the amount of pumpkin performances that the Canucks are getting from guys that should be, you know, fancy carriages that are worthy of taking to the ball to impress the Prince. Right? I mean, these are really good players that are playing terribly. You know, uh, that, yep. <laughs> it's hard to explain if there's not something wrong with, you know, the vibe around the team or the culture around the team or or something in the room. And, you know, so uh, there's a couple points I want to make. And one is a sort of lengthier one that I'd like to save and get into a little bit more on the other side of the of, uh, in the second segment. And sure. that is sort of the idea that, you know, patience like they should be patient to avoid making a mistake I want to really unpack why that is a wild a wild take like I know that that's on the tip of every insider sniffing around this club's um situations tongue and that's because that's clearly what's being communicated to them it is extraordinarily wrong like it is wrong-minded it is in fact a massive red flag about the direction of this franchise. A bigger red flag for me than the results of the season. And I want to I, I unpack that at extraordinary, extraordinary length in the second segment. But the other part uh, that I think is worth noting is the temperature around this team, the interest, and I don't mean the temperature in the market. I mean the interest in this situation in league circles. The teams sniffing around, trying to gauge what the Canucks' intentions are um you know trying to figure out how they can get their hands maybe on one of Vancouver's good players the amount of you know clucking by, by the various hens across this industry about possible changes um you know behind the bench president of hockey ops i've never experienced anything like it it is at a absolute fever pitch like to the point that you know i'm getting i'm getting two or three tips that I'm running down a day at this point. And, and some of them turn out to be bad tips or some of them turn out to be like the person themselves leaking them or, you know, uh, someone who's uh, over overly enthusiastic. And, and oftentimes you're getting those tips from people who are well-meaning, right? Like people who want to help you. So you don't hold it against them, but the amount of noise within the industry. And, and I think that has to, it must reflect the fact that the club itself is searching for answers right? Yeah. And, and probably that multiple people within the club are searching for answers with various different solutions, bits and pieces, drips and drabs of which are reaching people and that's sort of why it feels like there's so much that's getting thrown against a wall right now is that, you know, like, like what you're seeing on the ice, right, you've got sort of a disconnect internally with a bunch of people jockeying to have their answer preferred uh, as opposed to pulling in the, in the same direction the way you'd expect in a functional organization. And and I think that's another sort of thing that we need to look at and reflect on as a pretty bad sign for where this club is at and what this club is grappling with at the moment.
0: Yeah. It, they're, they're one of the biggest stories in the NHL right now, really. And that's, you know, you never want to find yourself in that spot when you're at the bottom of the standings, right? You want to be a big story because you're winning a ton of games and everyone's so impressed for what you're doing. Straight. Exactly. Can't wow, what, do what's got into these Canucks? This is incredible. And that that's why you want to be, you know, the hot topic on Hockey Night in Canada. And that's why you want Merrick and Friedman to start their, their hit with each other every day talking about the Vancouver Canucks. Obviously, it's the complete opposite right now. And it's just another, we've talked about this a lot, Drancer, but it's another example of... You know, when things start to go bad, it snowballs so quickly. And there's such a domino effect because it's not now, it's not just heat and pressure from your local market, from the local media, right? Now, everyone in the NHL around North America who follows hockey, who covers hockey, is turning their attention to you. And that brings extra noise. That brings, as you said, extra rumors, extra reports to constantly be dealing with. As you said, the goal when a team is in a position like this is okay we got to get everyone on the same page everyone buying in everyone pulling in the same direction I mean we heard from JT Miller directly asked is everyone buying in I don't know that's not the case right now and part of that has to be because there are just so many external factors making it so difficult to focus to okay I'm just going to do my job I'm not going to worry about anything else the players say that and I'm sure they're trying really hard, but it is hard. That's a really hard thing to do, I can imagine, when you're in this kind of position like they find themselves in. And, you know, the other thing, just as I mentioned, Friedman and Merrick talking about the Canucks again today on the Jeff Merrick show is, you know, one of the things they said was it feels like everybody in the Canucks organization is looking over their shoulder, right, is waiting for the hammer to drop, is waiting for the shoe to fall, and wondering, what's that going to mean for me? That's a um, really where, tough
1: where, where is it? Where is yeah. it going to drop?
0: That's a really right. hard way to do your job, right? When you're constantly, yeah. con- I, I'm sure a lot of listeners can relate to that, right? If you have questions about the future of your company, the future of your employer, your position, your security, you're not going to be at your best in those circumstances.
1: <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just laughing because I can't relate to that, Jamie. I work in sports media. Yeah, I was going to say, um, <laughs> I've got a job for life. <laughs> um, no, you know what? It all works against you. Too right, like it's an accumulation of weight or resistance weights, effectively on your ankles or, or or on your mental strength, right? And for a fragile team, every additional you know resistance weight, every every little bit of gossip and news and insecurity, you know, snowballs right become like what what should be just one rumor that you can ignore when things are going well, or at least not cataclysmically become. You know, something that's really tough to work through in terms of maintaining a standard of performance that, you know, fans of this team and paying customers and and the people who've invested so much time and passion and energy into following this club and obsessing over every detail uh, would find acceptable. And so, you know, I think that's also why the club was so furious and, you know, and they weren't the only club so furious about the Miller uh, Minnesota wild rumors and reports earlier this week, right? Those were repudiated in the stiffest possible terms privately and publicly by the organization. Um, and I think, you know, they're resist or they're conscious too of just how difficult the environment has become for everybody. I mean, that's the indication for me and you can see it now on their faces and in their posture and in their body language. And unfortunately in the way they're performing on the ice.
0: Yeah, that's that's the story from last night. Exactly. Is that that whatever you want to call it, the upset chemistry, the vibes spilling over officially, you know, from a behind closed doors thing to now we're seeing it play out every night on the ice and in the media Availability. It's the Canucks Hour here on Sportsnet, Sportsnet 650. Lots more to get into uh, with the Canucks and what happened in Pittsburgh last night. Plus, we'll read as many of your texts as we can. 650-650 is the number. We'll be back. You've got it on Sportsnet 650. I think internally
1: there's a lot of different opinions on what should be done and what the timetable should be. And... I think there are people at the very top who are holding on to it and saying, no, we can't do something just fast, reckless, quick. We have to do this right. And that's, I think, the opinion. Although, who knows,
0: it could change. Welcome back to the Canucks Hour, Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd and Canucks Insider Thomas Drantz. That was Elliot Friedman earlier today on the Jeff Merrick Show, giving his read of where things stand at high levels in the Canucks organization, and repeating something or reaffirming something that he's mentioned a couple of times in different in different spots, which is that the Canucks are concerned, very concerned right now with not making a rash mistake with not doing something just for the sake of doing something. And that concern, Drancer, is one of the reasons why, you know, despite the fact that, as I said earlier in the show, we're two weeks into disaster mode, there has not been, you know, any action taken in any respect by the club to address what's happening on the ice. No. And, you know, there's this
1: idea that
0: the club needs to be patient,
1: right? That the patience is, is, called for is the order of the day you can't make a mistake that you regret and here's the thing like here's the thing and, and it comes down to a mission statement that i have which is that winning is not a passive activity in the nhl winning is really hard go look at the rosters of good teams go look at the carolina hurricanes and just the sheer ridiculous absurd amount of talent up and down that lineup. Like, how excited would this market be about about Neckash, Martin Neckash? He's like their third line winger. He he's he's really a top six centerman, you know. <laughs> Vincent Trocheck's a middle six guy there. He'd be a star player here. He's probably JT Miller's equal, right? Um, go look up and down the lineups in Tampa Bay, in Colorado. Go look at the way those teams play, the pace that they bring. The Canucks are so far away from that, so far away from that, and so the idea that the club needs to be careful and can't make changes and should try and leg, you know, leg it out through this season um, before making a decision, there's things that need to be accomplished. There's tough decisions that the organization needs to make now. There's players who will have more value at the deadline this year than they will if you wait until the offseason. Right? If you're a team interested in a, a, a Miller or Horvat type, right? Two runs at the playoffs. That's better than one, especially with what Tampa Bay did following the acquisitions of Gaudreau and Blake Coleman, right? I mean, no that's like the template now that teams are willing to spend on. There are so many decisions that this club will face, so many situations to navigate in terms of key players, in terms of how to get the room going right, in terms of how to upgrade this roster to a point that it can win in this league. And you can't wait to make those. You can't wait till the off season. You need to start now, like this hour today on figuring out what this club needs to do to get better fundamentally. And, you know, there's, there's this notion out there that, you know, the change has to affect the room, but a change in in management can wait. And, you know, I, I just, I don't understand that. Like, if you're at a point where the league isn't sure that your general manager has the autonomy to make big deals, even, right? If the market's not sure of that, if you're not sure that the vision that you've sold, that you've bought in assembling this roster is the one you want for your club going forward, why are you going out and hiring the type of big-name coach that might shake things up, that might give you the Daryl Sutter-type bounce? Like, why, why are you spending that money and committing that when you don't have direction at the top, it's exactly backwards and it's par for the course for an organization that really struggles to just like align incentives and function in a healthy, normal way that doesn't put everyone involved in a position of fail. Like that's what this organization does time and time again. We saw it with the green extension last year. Um, we saw it a few years ago when the Canucks made the JT Miller trade. And then two months later, Jim Benning got the extension. I mean, even if, Like, no matter what, the the Miller trade was always going to be received in the market as a save-my-job type trade because of the timing of when Benning was extended. Like, it was exactly backwards. Um, You know, I think about about the green extension, too. Like, the Canucks are playing all these games after the playoffs have already started. Already started. And they win a ton of them. They win a ton of them. Their pick ends up going from five to nine. Because of how well they do. Like, that's the difference between a William Eklund or a Kent Johnson on this team for the next decade and Dylan Gunther, a pick that they end up trading, in part because they sort of saw how the board was unfolding ahead of them. I mean, it just is always self defeating to do things backwards, to have bad process from the absolute apex of the organization on down. And consistently, that's what we've seen. So when I hear, you know, that the club is more likely to try and wake up the room with a trade or a, you know, um, a coaching change as opposed to, you know, a a more dramatic sort of soul searching about the overall leadership within the club. Uh, You know, I, I, again, just look at it and think this club's never going to get it right. Like they're never going to get it right. If they keep putting the cart before the horse on topic after topic after topic, and, and that's all we've seen from them. Like it's all we've seen from them for the last four or five years. For me, that's again, the bigger warning, warning sign. Like to me, that's the red flag. That's the sort of smoke signal that, you know, the, the dark days are here to stay and, and that the club doesn't have a plan to navigate beyond them. Like now, now you've got to start winning. If you want to win in this league, you have to start winning in the boardroom. Now, this is the time to make those decisions. And, to kick the can down the road, to permit uh, a general manager that, the, that ownership doesn't seem to be 100% sold on, uh, make a big-name coaching hire, um, you know that doesn't compute. It doesn't make sense with where the Canucks are, not just in the standings this season in, in a campaign that's probably unsalvageable anyway, but also in terms of where they're positioned over the long term and how they get back on track in time to maximize their ability to compete and actually win and like pursue excellence, not just pursue a playoff yeah. berth, but pursue excellence while this core group is together.
0: The, the patience thing, look, it's, it's pretty baffling for me as well. And I have no doubt that, you know, Elliot Friedman's as locked in as it gets, right. I have no doubt that he is accurately reporting the, you know, the frame of mind at the, Canu- in at high levels in the Canucks organization. And here's the thing. There are, there are a lot of times in professional sports, but I think patience is is a is a virtue, is, is something that you should have and you should rely, right? Like if your team is just getting really unlucky, okay, yeah, have some patience and see if your luck starts to turn. If it was year two of Travis Green's coaching tenure and year two of Jim Benning's tenure as general manager, okay, patience, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Heck, even earlier in the week I was saying don't make a snap trade of one of your key players just because you're trying – to shake up this season, to find a way to salvage this season—that's a form of patience. There are lots of instances where patience is fine. It's just not in this case, right? Like this isn't year two of Green or Benning. This is year eight of Jim Benning, year five of Travis Green. Those are lengthy, lengthy tenures. I, I, at a certain point, I just don't know. I don't know what the hesitancy is, and and I understand Friedman's you know reporting is that they don't want to make a mistake. They want to do something that they're going to regret for a decade. And to me, that explains why you don't make a player trade, right? Okay. Don't make a snap JT Miller trade, because if you don't do, if you don't navigate that situation correctly, you could regret it for a long time to come.
1: Yeah. Uh, claim I'm a guy off waivers. Like, I'm not, if you need to, if you want to change your mix, yeah. claim a guy off waivers. You know, I, I do think though, I do think though, um, you know, and again, I always come back to my Florida experience and I always come back to my Florida experience in part because that team struggled for years with a really promising young core and only just has emerged as an elite group, right. In part, because they started, you know, making more disciplined moves to add meaningful skill and quality people into their lineup. Right. And, you know, one thing that did happen though, before they got back on track, right. They lost a trade that involved a core piece. They traded Vincent Trocek and they didn't trade him for a lot. Right. They traded him for, um, you know, I kind of like Chase Prisky, but pretty much a bag of magic beans. And, you know, it was looked at at the time as a, as a loser trade. I think it will be looked at historically as a loser trade. And yet, the Panthers got better. The Panthers got better. I think they. it was an instructive moment to remind a, a young core group that was figuring out how to assert itself and win at the NHL level that, you know, they were accountable too, right? That it wasn't just going to be good times and changes and and new coaches. Um, so, you know, I, I mean, there's no, like, not every answer is wrong every time, but I do think inaction at this moment, in action for the sake of inaction, especially, right? The idea that you need to wait and be patient, even though things are so clearly off the rails and this roster is so clearly, um, you know, Subpar, and the mood around the team is so clearly dire. Right? To me, that is that suggests that in fact you need to probably start taking a chance now. And you don't need to have the answer. You don't need to have the the solution ready to go. You don't need to have the the um, gaudy hire in hand to yes. restore confidence in the market. You can, you know, you have time. You have four months to the deadline. You can do a two month search with an interim in charge in the meantime um, if you, if you decide to go that route, um, you know, you can, if you, and, and again, it's just about like this organization needs to decide whether or not they believe in the vision that constructed this team. And if the answer is no, you can't go do the big name coaching hire either because then you're hiring a coach that your next GM provided that that's still a route you're considering taking in the off season. Like unless you like insist on and make it apparent to this market and to the league, that Jim Benning remains your guy. You can't go out and do that either. That would be a massive error, right? Like you can't, you can't do, take that approach unless you've got your GM in in place. And so we're sort of left in this situation where, I mean, the Canucks may even make
0: the right hire, but if you do it for the wrong reason, it's still the wrong hire. Well, you want the right you want the right person making the next hire. That's the key thing it, that and as you said, it's it all flows from having the right person in charge, yeah. making those high level decisions. You need to have that in place. And maybe Canucks ownership still thinks that's Jim Benning. OK, fine. But to your point, then they need to make that as clear as they possibly can. So everyone understands that. The only change that's happening is at, you know, the coaching level or the player level because we believe in Jim Benning and we're moving forward with him. Now that's, that's going to be a tough, that's going to be a tough message to sell in this market, but that, that is one possible, possible solution, a possible path forward. I mean, it's, it's wild. It would almost be
1: funny if it hadn't gone on so long, right? Like it's wild that 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 might be the point we're at, but clearly there's, there's an appeal there. Clearly there's an appeal to Canucks ownership there because, he's what the second longest tenure general manager in Canucks history. And he's made the playoffs once over the course of an 82 game season. Like there's something they value there. And you're right. It would be a tough sell to the marketplace, but honestly it's better than the vacuum that the club is slogging through at the moment, especially because one of the big issues that this club has dealt with over the course of, of the past few seasons, particularly after leaving the bubble, uh, certainly the stresses of the pandemic shone a light on it was the internal communication piece. Like the internal communication, the ability to sell vision to players, um, the ability to sell vision within the market, uh, that is broken, fundamentally broken. And, and I think you're seeing it now with, with the disconnect that's apparent in the room. I think you saw it during the COVID outbreak when JT Miller took it upon himself to vouch for the safety of his players as opposed to that coming from club leadership. Um, I think you've seen it in terms of how players like Tanev and Markstrom have departed and what they said about the process on their way out to Foley too. Uh, I think you've seen it too over the course of contract negotiations, right? Like an inability to get guys at a clip, you know, that they might, that you might get them at if they felt hopeful or part of something um, and, and a part of a vision that had been communicated to them in a frank, honest and compelling way. And, you know, that's something that needs to be fixed here, sort of a priori, Uh, to to whatever else if you if you make the splashy move and you're not all in on this direction I mean again it doesn't even matter if you get the best coach in the world doesn't matter if you're hiring hiring prime Scotty Bowman um you know it doesn't matter if you're hiring Vince Lombardi it's still the wrong move if your process is broken and so much of what this organization has shown us over the past few years suggests that it is
0: and again, on the topic of patience, like as I said, there are plenty of instances in professional sports where it's appropriate, where the best course of action is to be patient, where that's the prudent thing to do is have some patience. But you have to know when to flip the switch from patience to decisiveness, right? And if you have all the information you need in front of you to make a decision, I don't think there's any sense in waiting to make that decision. And that's just, it just feels like there's obviously something that has to give in this situation. You know, I, I I can't imagine anyone is looking at this team saying, you know what, we just need a few more games to really see if, the, if this is going to turn things around, right? Like that, I, I, don't, I don't know how you can look at this team and come to that conclusion. So you have all the information you need. And at a certain point, you have to come out and make a decision. And again, whether that's moving on from some key people, whether that's giving a, a full-throated, hearty vote of confidence to a few key, key people and moving on from there, whatever it is, it, it, it just can't go on like this. Or at least I keep telling myself that it can't go on like this, even though it, it keeps going on like this. But Oh, it very much can go on like this. And what's so very alarming much. is if you're, if you are looking at this team saying, you know what, I just I just want to see if they can turn things around. I mean, first of all, I think this season is lost. I don't think that's, you know, if you want to say there's a 2 or 3% chance of whatever that they make a miracle turnaround, that's fine. But I don't see a lot of reason to, you know, bet on that or put a lot of stock in that happening. Even if you do, though, even if you are desperately clinging to the idea that this team can turn things around, by not taking any action, you're making that harder. You're making that much less likely. Because as we said, you can tell from what the players are saying to the media, from how the players are playing on the ice, that this is really affecting the team at this point. So if if you still do believe, if you're at a high level in the Canucks organization and you still believe in this collection of players, the best thing you can do to give them a chance to turn things around is just come out and say something, do something, take some sort of action. Because right now, I don't know how they're supposed to perform in these circumstances. No,
1: no. And, and you know, every day there's some fresh embarrassment. Every day there's some fresh hot rumor that I'm dropping everything and chasing down. Um every day there's some other player's name linked to X team in a trade. I mean, it's exhausting. It's exhausting. And then throw in the way that this club performs, (laughs) which actually is the most exhausting part of all. And you've got a really toxic mix, like a really toxic mix around this club. The idea that you can be patient with that, the idea that that doesn't demand immediate action. To me, that doesn't track to me. In fact, that is, as unacceptable as any performance the Canucks have put on, on the ice this year. Uh,
0: 650, 650, a few minutes to get to some texts here. Uh, It's the Dunbar lumber text line, the smart alternative visit Dunbar lumber on bridge street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. I should also mention Canucks Hour brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Being a champion takes foresight. Build your company to win for years to come with fuel efficient and reliable Kubota skid steers, excavators, and loaders from Avenue Machinery, machinery AvenueMachinery.ca. Logan texts in, guys, what it comes down to is that the Canucks are saying they're afraid to make a move because of making a mistake. That in itself says they have the wrong people in charge. That text is from Logan, and I think that's an interesting point from Logan because, again, if, as you said, Drancer, being a good NHL franchise, a good NHL organization, you have to be constantly on alert, looking for ways to get an edge, looking for ways to improve your roster, to improve your outlook for the future. You can't be in paralysis for, for any sort of extended period of time. That's a very, very bad sign. It is a very bad sign,
1: and, and you're right. I mean, it's a really good you can't be afraid of a mistake you can't you can't be on your heels you can't be reactive the way this organization has been consistently for certainly the last few seasons like certainly with, when it comes to the pandemic in particular like which teams which teams won the pandemic and which teams lost the pandemic right like the, just as a, just as a really insensitive blanket way of putting it right like the teams that really did well or that continued to succeed, I mean, Tampa Bay is sort of an exception. They won both Cups, but they kind of made their moves before the pandemic happened, right? And then and then because the season was shortened, they were able to benefit because in a normal year, they couldn't have done the Kucherov LTI trick, right? That wouldn't have worked over 82 games the way it did over a truncated five-month regular season, right? So, you know, they, they'd be up there. Montreal spent, right? Like, Montreal went to the Cup Final. Why? Because every other team was counting pennies, And the Montreal Canadiens zigged when everyone else zagged. They were the Chelsea of the 2020 NHL offseason. They spent. They made the cup final. It didn't last. They didn't invest wisely in terms of improving their long-term positioning. But they were a team that massively upgraded because while everyone else zigged, they zagged. Uh, The Florida Panthers are the other really big example. Um, You know, the, the ownership of the Panthers worked in one of the few industries that actually was a growth industry during the course of the pandemic. And they were able to go out and spend and make a ton of smart, low cost bets, right? Like they spent like 15 million to find three plus contributors on $1 million deals in declare and Forsling in, you know, um, and, and not all of their bets worked like Ryan Lomberg has been an okay player for them, but that was an expensive, you know, kind of fourth line miss. Vinny Hinestroza did not work. Like they spent a lot of money taking those bets while everyone else was trying to leg it through with shallow rosters, the Canucks included. They didn't even bring a third uh, goaltender in so that Di Pietro could get games in the American League, right? I mean, the contrast is massive. Which team massively upgraded their positioning for the next five years and which teams deteriorated, right? I mean, if, when you look at which teams have sort of fared worse over the past two off seasons as a result of pandemic pressure, the Canucks are number one on the list. Like number one, this team was set back perhaps permanently by some of the decisions made in reaction to the pandemic. And that's just another example of being reactive to forces outside of, of your control and how that gets you in a hole, how that puts you behind the eight ball. Uh, That's where the Canucks are at. That's what they're still grappling with. And you can't now be reactive again to the pressure around the club and you know decide that you want to wait it out and and not sort of come up with a proactive plan to materially fix this and pursue excellence in this league again because if you do nothing's ever going to improve and we're going to keep telling the same stories and watching the same games and watching the same bad body language regardless of who's behind the bench forever and ever unless they fundamentally (laughs) fix it
0: forever and ever. Yes. Another yet another day uh, in groundhog day or another episode of groundhog day. Maybe Uh, just before we finish up here, big Joe from East van says, Hey guys, it's time to bring in Dean Lombardi as president and John Tortorella as GM slash head coach. Don't want to hear any rebuttals or why it won't happen. Just get it done ASAP and let's write this ship. And Big Joe, I will I will honor your request and I will not give any rebuttal or reasons as to why that won't happen. But I do appreciate the text from Big Joe in East Van. That's going to do it for us today. Thank you to everyone for texting in. We really appreciate the interaction. We will be back tomorrow. The Canucks, of course, in Columbus They'll be getting set to play the Blue Jackets tomorrow night. We'll be back at 11 a.m. Don't forget, you can find us on Spotify, uh, Apple Music, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe, leave us a review, do whatever you can. It makes a big difference, and we always appreciate it. That's going to do it for us. You've got it on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.